0: Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring
1: and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ.
0: So that's our encouragement to invite your friends and neighbors and family, um, particularly to our, our Easter service this year. It's going to be a wonderful Sunday. Of course, you can invite someone any Sunday, but just an encouragement In this season, as we move towards Easter, to invite your friends and family and neighbors to join us for a time of worship. Uh, It's going to be a wonderful Easter, so think about it. Why did you first come to church? It's probably because your mother wouldn't let you stay home or because someone invited you. Um, And you are the church. Invite people to come and experience Christ here um, on Easter, we pray. I'd like to thank Aaron for leading worship this morning. So nice to have you here. God bless you, and thank you for working with our team. Frida, thank you for reading scripture this morning. Bless you. Um, we come here every week with various emotions and experiences. Two weeks ago, our dear David was, was feeling ill at the beginning of the service and needed medical care, and, and it impacted all of us. A month ago, uh, Monica Openlander uh, held a blanket. She put it here, and she told her story about making blankets for for cancer victims and and her care for those around her, particularly those in need in hospital. Um, And she encouraged us, and she blessed us. And I believe that worship is to enable us to come together and bring all of ourselves to all that God has to offer us. We worship in suffering. We worship in joy. We worship as we celebrate new life, and we worship as we grieve the loss of people we love. We bring all that life brings us, and we come together before God and allow God to speak to us. That's why I encourage you to come and worship in joy and sorrow, in sickness and in health, in birth and in death. We worship together, and it's a joy to, to live with you. I We've been living together for six months since I began uh, serving you here. And you know, what a wonderful journey. Some of you have been sick. Some of you have been healthy. We are looking forward to a wonderful year. Our annual meeting is sort of a, a dividing line. And I can't wait to see what Christ has for us this year. We know we have some babies coming. I can't wait. And uh and a great year ahead of us. We're looking forward to summer ministry so much. And we're looking forward to Easter. Today we're looking at a, another portrait of Christ. We've been looking at the different characters of Christ as the suffering servant and the like. Today we're looking at Christ as our priest. Our high priest. Um, a high priest, his job is to lead worship, to, to facilitate people's coming to God. To enable people to come to God, to have communication And conversation. Uh, And this is what Jesus has done for us. He bridged the gap between us and God and made a way for us to come to God and worship Him. Um, Let's begin by looking just briefly at the life of Jesus, and let's start before the life of Jesus in the Old Testament. After leading his people out of Egypt, God provided them with a detailed description of how to worship him. So something happened after they got out of Egypt. In order for people to worship God, God set aside a group of people that were called the tribe of Levi, the Levites. And this was the priestly tribe. So we're talking about Jesus, the high priest, just trying to understand priest because I am not a priest. I am a pastor. Um, Sometimes... People have uh, called me father, because if I wear a tie in the hospital, they go, he must be a pastor, he must be a priest, they'll say father, and, and uh, it's a little weird, but it's okay. We, we are a, but we are a priesthood of all believers, so in some respects, we are all pastors and priests, we serve God. God chose his special tribe, the Levites. He said, you will be the priestly tribe. Their job was to serve the Lord in the temple and to offer sacrifices for people. So the people would bring their sacrifices, grain or animals, give them to the priest, who would then take them to the altar and present them to God. In its simplest form, the responsibility of the priest was to present people to God. They functioned as a go-between. And I do not function as a go-between. You can go straight to God. We are together in this. I am your pastor who will teach and train and love you. And together we go to the throne of God. But that wasn't the way in the Old Testament. Uh, This is a very simple overview. But I think I hope you get enough of an idea what a priest is. And Jesus, in Hebrews here, is called our high priest. Um, The title of the sermon is Jesus the priest. Jesus the high priest. Um, We look at Hebrews 4. 14 to 16 uh, every line in that scripture is so important it introduces us to to christ and and his character as priest there's five characteristics of him as a priest and then two consequences of christ being our high priest let's get going it starts with speaking of christ our high priest a great high priest um and as we said, the Levite tribe were the tribe of priests. But what I didn't mention is out of this tribe of priests, they chose a high priest. One priest who was chosen for a special purpose. The additional responsibilities of the high priest, was they were noticed particularly on the Day of Atonement. It's a, a Hebrew festival called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And you can read about it in Leviticus 16. It describes all the details, all the things the priest had to do on that day. And, and on this day, the priest's role overall um, was to present the sins of the people to God. The Sins were to be recounted and atoned for. Day of atonement. Part of the duties on that day was the priest would take two goats... He would sacrifice one, and on the other, he would place all the sins of God's people. He would put his hands on the head of the goat and recite out loud all the wickedness and rebellious sins of the people. Then that goat, now known as a scapegoat, would be led out to the desert and released, symbolizing the carrying away of the sins of God's people. Isn't this interesting? We don't do that anymore. There are no goats roaming Scott Street. Um, This scapegoat, once once he was released, the priest was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies and to enter the the very special place where God dwelt and make sacrifices for the sins of the people. Isn't that something? So different. I do not, on Monday morning make sacrifices for your sins. I I don't go to my office and go, okay, Emily, let's uh, forgive her. Tim, oh Lord, he had a bad week, forgive him. We don't do that. We, 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 We all know that God's love and forgiveness is ours, and we seek his forgiveness, and we seek to live a life of purity. But Jesus is called our high priest, And who is this high priest? The scripture says, Jesus, the Son of God, is our high priest. There's no misunderstanding. Christ is our high priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. It's emphasized that Christ is God's Son, and clearly and directly he is called our high priest. No question about it. Jesus is our high priest. He is, it moves on, saying he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Verse 13 tells us that our high priest, Jesus, can identify with us. He understands. He sympathizes with our weakness. He knows what it's like to be weak. And we know what it's like to be weak. Isn't it, isn't it a blessing to know that our God, that Jesus loves us and he identifies with our weaknesses? Here's a story from a classroom. And about understanding sympathizing and weakness. Comes from a third grade classroom. Don't you love the children's story? Don't you love? Don't you love Ethan, who has a story to tell about Jesus and eggs? From the top step. I love that boy. It must be his father. David, is this you? I think that's you. This is a story about a little boy, his name is Andrew, third grade, sitting at his desk. All of a sudden, there's a puddle between his feet and on the front of his pants. His pants are wet. He thinks his heart is going to stop because he can't possibly imagine how this happened. Mom had been helping him and he'd been trained long before, but it happened. It happened. And what is going to happen when the other boys find out? He'll never hear the end of it. And when his friend, the girls, find out, they'll never speak to him again. Andrew believes his heart is just going to stop. He puts his head down on his desk and he prays, Dear God, this is an emergency. I need help now. Five minutes from now, everyone's going to be pointing at me and laughing. He looks up after his prayer and here comes the teacher with a look in her eye that says, You've been discovered. As the teacher is coming down to to meet him, a classmate, Susie, is carrying a fishbowl filled with water. And she trips on the teacher's foot and dumps the whole bowl onto Andrew's lap. Andrew is shocked. But all he is saying inside is, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for fishbowls. Now, all of a sudden, Andrew is an object of sympathy. The teacher rushes him downstairs, gives him some gym shorts to put on while his pants dry out. The janitor comes in quickly and cleans up the water, cleaning up the whole mess. And uh, for Andrew, the sympathy is wonderful. Uh, The ridicule that he should have experienced was transferred to someone else, to Susie. As the day progresses, the sympathy grows even better and the story grows and Susie's ridicule becomes worse. How could she drop that whole fishbowl on Andrew? At the end of the day, they're waiting for the bus and Susie is is standing alone because people don't want to stand beside her because she made that terrible mistake and, and got Andrew all wet. Andrew walks over to Susie and says, Susie, you did that on purpose, didn't you? And she whispers back, I wet my pants once, too. What a gift. Her gift of being ridiculed instead of him. Taking his ridicule upon herself. The story illustrates a simple point. Since Jesus became human, he can fully enter in and participate in our lives. He feels what we feel. He understands. He sympathizes. And sometimes when you sympathize, you do whatever you can to help another, even if it involves a fishbowl. Jesus knows what it feels like to stub your toe, to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be cold, to be dirty. He knows what it feels like to be joyful, but he also knows what it feels like to be angry, to be sad, to be betrayed. He knows, he sympathizes, he understands. This is one of the main reasons I'm convinced that we can and need a closeness with Christ. We don't need a space between us. Sometimes we feel like God, um, he's too great for us. He's too different, too holy, too powerful. And so we say we need to keep a distance. But this scripture points me in the opposite direction. He sympathizes with my weaknesses. He understands them. So rather than trying to keep a distance from him, he's saying, Come to me, those who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you peace. He is compassionate and understanding. That's our high priest. Next, he's been tempted in every way. Scripture reads, Therefore, Jesus, since we have a high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Not only does our high priest understand our weaknesses, he understands our temptations. He understands how we can get caught up in sin. Not because he had been caught up in sin, but because he had been tempted. Do you think holiness was easy for Jesus? I don't think so. I think he struggled. I think there were times when his humanity pushed him and pulled him. As I think about the journey to Easter that we're on right now, Jesus knew the road ahead. He knew the pain that he was going to suffer. He knew what was ahead of him. But he said, not my will, but yours. Hebrews 4.15 tells us, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, but did not sin. These are all pictures of what this high priest is like, what Jesus is like. Tempted, but did not sin. He was without sin. And this points to Jesus' similarity to us. The final, the, the final bit of that, that verse shows us that, that he was without sin, so that he understands, but he didn't sin. He was different than us. Though tempted, Jesus did not sin. You and I can't claim this. We have given in to temptation. We've rebelled against God. Yet Jesus resisted the temptation and lived a sinless life. Incredible. These five descriptions are part of the portrait of Jesus. He was our high priest, gone into heaven, the Son of God, sympathizing with our weakness, he was tempted just like us, yet he was without sin. So, because of this, Jesus, his role as high priest, it changes everything. So, in the old system, the scapegoat, the goat, ran off with the sins of the people placed on it. It was a symbol, and an incredible, powerful symbol. But the truth is that the sins still remained, it's merely a symbol. Jesus was the real thing. Up until Jesus' death, all the sacrifices merely covered. You had to continue to sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice to cover your sin, to forgive your sin. Things were temporarily forgiven. In Jesus, things changed forever. Because he was sinless and because he offered himself as the scapegoat, as the sacrifice for our sins, our sins are forgiven then, today, and forever. There's no no more scapegoats. We don't have to continue sacrificing. We've been forgiven. It's incredible. So what does this mean now that we have Christ who died so that we could be forgiven? The verse tells us the consequences of Jesus being our high priest. I love this. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Do you know what it means to hold firmly it comes from a Greek word "kateo." It means to cling, to grasp tightly without letting go. I can remember being in the swimming pool with our godsons. We have a beautiful little godson. His name is Anty, and uh, he loves water. He loved being in it, but he was afraid of the deep end. Do you know the deep end? Have any of you been in the deep end? It's dangerous. And little auntie, he was afraid of the deep end. But he liked to be near it. So we had the little rope across. He would go up to the rope and he would get near the deep end. But he wouldn't go into the deep end because he was afraid. He wanted to be a big boy and to experience the deep end. So he said to me, "Uh, Rob, um, let's go into the deep end. And I said, are you ready? And he said, yes. So I told him, you get on my back And hold me tight, hold firmly, kateo, grasp tightly. So um, one day I'll show you pictures of Auntie on my back. Uh, I walk slowly past the rope into the deep end, getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And he's, you know, just quivering with excitement. Until my feet can't touch the bottom, then I'm swimming with him on my back. And he is just loving it. The problem is, I am choking to death. <laughs> because he is clinging so tight around my neck that I can hardly breathe. One of us is going to die first and it's going to be me. He, he was clinging so tightly because he, he felt safe around, when he held me around my neck. He held on with every ounce of his strength. He was so skinny, so beautiful, and he felt like his life depended on it. And this is what this verse tells us to do. Hold on as if our life depends on it. There is an antidote to doubt, and it's to hold firmly to our faith, to cling to those experiences in the past when we have experienced God, when we have known with every part of our being that he is real and alive And he loves us. We cling to Christ like we are going into the deep end. And he alone can save us and protect us. Verse 16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Let us approach the throne of grace. Let's approach the Holy of Holies with confidence. Prior to Jesus, the people needed a go-between. The priest... Well, now Jesus has removed the barrier, that extra step, and God himself, in the form of Jesus, is the only priest we need. Each of us is now enabled and welcome to bring our offering directly to the throne of grace. We can now know God personally, not from a distance, not through others. We go directly to God. Some churches believe that only their priest... Can offer communion. That only their pastor can baptize. Well, I am soon to be a certified Mennonite brethren pastor. I've done all the work. My interview is next month. And I've been doing all of our historical reading. And we are a people who believe in the priesthood of all believers. Did you know that in our church you could give communion? And you can baptize. Now, traditionally the pastor does this. And I'm so pleased to offer communion and to baptize. But back in the day, and in many of our Mennonite Brethren churches, there were no pastors. There were leaders. And it, who was ever, whatever man or woman who could lead, would lead. We don't have priests. We have a priesthood of all believers. And a pastor and a shepherd. And the pastor and shepherd... Here's a fun one. Is at the bottom. Not the top. This isn't isn't a business where the pastor is at the top. The pastor is the chief shepherd. I am here to serve you. I'm not your priest who sits at the top. I'm your pastor who's at the bottom, guiding and supporting. All of this since Christ became our high priest. So now we approach with confidence. Nothing can keep us from God. One of my favorite scriptures, Romans eight thirty eight. I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, not our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What a beautiful scripture. Nothing can take us from God. I think one of the things that keeps us from God is our expectation of judgment and punishment. I know of my sin. And so I expect holy fire, righteous anger, a reaction to my weakness and my sin. I I expect what I deserve. You know, but this this, this, this Christianity thing is incredible. This Jesus thing is incredible. I don't get what I deserve. I have this thing called grace. We are free, we are forgiven, we're whole again because of God's love and grace. And that's exciting. This little bald pastor in front of you is forgiven. And so are you, Aaron, for goodness sakes. God loves you so much. Even when you can't remember the beginning of the song. (laughs) And you know what? You did the right thing. You got your sister beside you to help you. Because we're a family. You did the right thing. And I'm glad you're here. Last week I started at the wrong key, so we're used to it here. (laughs) We're here for each other. We get grace and mercy. We don't get what we deserve. You remember the story of the prodigal son, the son who uh, squandered his wealth in wild living? He returned home. And when he returned home, he saw his father. Did he get a lecture, a reprimand and punishment when the prodigal son came home to the father? Did he get that lecture? No. He got a kiss, he got a ring, and he got a welcome home. This is what God does to those who come to him. Forgiveness, grace, and mercy. None of which he deserved did he get. None of which we deserve do we get. Because of Jesus, our high priest, who has become our sacrificial lamb. This is because of who God is. Now, this is hard for us to get. And sometimes it's uncomfortable for us. This whole grace thing is hard. We are worried that if we're forgiven, that maybe you'll sin more. If God forgives me, we we worry that his forgiveness will lead to sin. It doesn't. His forgiveness leads to obedience. We worry about permissiveness. We uh, we think that God's grace, maybe He didn't quite understand what He was offering. We think that of all that we might continue to do terrible things all of our life, and in the last minute, we'll ask God for forgiveness and we'll get it. And um, and that's just not the way it is. While we may be worried about this kind of situation, this issue, Jesus wasn't worried about it. Jesus gave us the story of the prodigal son. When the evil sinning son came home, what did the father do? Loved him, forgave him, and welcomed him home. And I am afraid that sometimes I'm not like the younger son. I'm like the older one. Do you remember? Actually, the story of the prodigal son is not about the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son is about the the older son because he was saying it so the Pharisees could hear. I'm afraid I'm like the older son. So the son comes home after wasting his life on wine, women, and song. The father kisses him and puts a ring on his finger and and sandals on his feet. And he sacrifices the lamb and throws a party. Where is the old son? The father, the, the young sons come home, the prodigals come home. The father produces a beautiful feast. Where is the old son? Do you remember? Is he there at the party? No, he is not. The older son became angry, refused to go to the party. So his father went out and pleaded with the older son. But the older son answered his father. He says, look, all of these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeying your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Wow! Is that me? Is that you? He complains that his father is lowering his standards, ignoring virtue. That music, dancing, and the fatted calf are, in fact, giving permission for the younger son to break the law. And to that, Jesus has the father say one thing. Here's the father's reply to the older son. My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. Your brother was dead, and he's alive again. The name of the game from now on is love, grace, and forgiveness. Why are you so busy keeping track of sins? It's a different game now. Jesus, our high priest, changed everything. And we live in the light of love, grace, and forgiveness. And we say, thank you, Lord. Amen? Let's say it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness and your grace. Amen? Thank you, Lord. We don't deserve this. We don't deserve this high priest, but but he, he died for us. Thank you, Lord. And on Easter, we're going to say that together, and we're going to baptize beautiful young lives, and we're going to say, thank you, Lord. Now that we, amen, now that we have Jesus as our high priest, one who can identify and sympathize with us, there's no longer anything that can keep us from God from receiving his love, forgiveness, and grace. There's nothing you have done, nothing you have thought or left undone that is beyond God's mercy and his grace. And so I urge you, don't hold back any longer, but rather to come before God's throne with confidence. Paul, where are you, my brother? He will meet us in our time of need. If you haven't received the gift of God's love and God's forgiveness, today is the day to start your new life. Today is the day when you say to Christ, the high priest, Thank you, Lord. I believe. Take my life. Take my sins. Use me and change me.
1: On the back of your bulletin, there is a simple prayer. One that you may have prayed many times before. Maybe Today would be the very first time you've ever prayed a prayer to ask Jesus into your life. Perhaps this is one that you can use with a friend that you would like to introduce to Jesus. But I'd like to invite you to stand, and we're going to say this together. And if this is your first time praying this prayer, say it with faith to the God who loves you and who cares. Pray with me. Father God, I acknowledge that I have sinned and that my sins have separated me from you. I believe that Jesus Christ, your Son, died in my place and I can be forgiven. Please forgive my sins in Jesus' name. I believe Jesus has risen from the dead and is alive today. I now confess that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your great love and help me to live for you. Amen. And I believe if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you prayed it with faith in your heart, you have now joined the family of God. Then Jesus is your
0: name. Thank you for listening. Any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.